Last week, last week, we were linking the prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus as he was coming into Jerusalem. Remember the 483 years or the 173,000 880 days from the issuing of the decree to Nehemiah to rebuild and restore Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one would be that exact time. And that, and that God tells Daniel that's when the Messiah will make, or my anointed one, the Mashiach, will make his pronouncement of who he is. People are proclaiming who he is. We saw that he's riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey, right? He's coming in there, prophecy also fulfilled there. And then also he is the lamb of God. He was selected at that time. He's God's selected lamb to become the sacrifice once for all, right? The end of sacrifice is after, after he is sacrificed. And the good news with all of that, and then over the last few days, if you had a chance to catch up in your gospels there about that inspection time, remember how we said they would choose the lamb on the 10th and there would be an inspection time until the 14th that they would sacrifice at twilight? That that was the time that Jesus uh, was doing a massive amount of teaching. There were some people that were coming still. He was still straightening some things out. But you know what? In and through all of that, they tested and tested and tested him, yet they found him guilty of no wrong, right? But that doesn't stop the court system, does it? No. What, what a facts matter about any of this? Well, but we know this. It wasn't really Rome. It wasn't really the Jewish people that were putting him to death. It was God's plan being fulfilled. These things had to happen and had to unfold. Well, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to spend some time talking first and foremost about the crucifixion and, and, uh, and, and why all of this is going on, and then we're going to get to the resurrection in the second half. I have a lot of scripture verses. I have some PowerPoint slides, and, and we have, uh, we've asked for this to go smoothly. As it always does, they always appear, just sometimes not where you think that they're supposed to. Jesus said something very interesting to his disciples. He said this in Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day, what? Raised to life. The big question is, why was he always telling them he had to go there? Why does he have to go? I have to go there. Well, because God has a plan, and God's plan is salvation for the world. It's interesting to note that if you go through and you process the word of God, that you'll see from Genesis to Revelation, it's all just God sharing his plan with us. And then we're seeing segments in there where, where little by little he's fulfilling all that he wants to do. As a matter of fact, uh, Luke 2.49 tells us this, while you were searching for me, what, why were you searching for? You remember this when Jesus was a small boy and his family came to Jerusalem to celebrate a festival and they left and they forgot him? right? Anybody ever been, you know, left somewhere before? It's terrifying, but not for him. And he told him this in Luke 2, 49. He says, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Or the interpretation of that is also about my father's what? 
Yeah. You see, his father's house is his business, isn't it? And Jesus was always trying to proclaim that, well, things like this, John 5, 17, in his defense to them, this is whenever they're going after him for harvesting a little bit, his disciples harvesting some stuff uh, on the Sabbath day and eating some kernels of grain. And he said, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. This is also going to be linked to the time when he's healing somebody um, right there. I believe the man with the shriveled arm. They're always coming after him, always trying to find an excuse that he, or, or, or try to find a mistake and an error to him. But he always says, my dad is working. Think about that. Jesus is saying, my dad is working this very day. There are still things that's going on. Did you know that God is accomplishing in and through our lives? In regards to salvation, well, the the process of that has been finished, but is everybody saved yet? No. Spirit is now alive and well, working fervently and effectively. And that's what Jesus tells us in John, that the Spirit of God is always working um, to, um, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and truth. And that's what the Holy Spirit, to people who do not have a relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit is actively working in their lives. So pray for the Holy Spirit to be mighty and effective. Pray for those people who do not know the Lord, that they would be, that they would hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to them in regards to their sin, their lack of righteousness, and the judgment that is going to come one day. Well, what is this salvation? right? Uh, We say that God has this plan of salvation. By the way, where does that, that plan of salvation first appear in scripture? Well, the rule of first mention, where is it found? Genesis 3, in the fall. Do you remember what God said? He said, Eve, your son, and in regards to Eve and to Satan there, he said, Satan, he's going to strike your son's heel. I mean, he's going to be like the vicious, poisonous snake and come after him and put him to death. But he said, Eve, your son is going to what? Crush that serpent's head. And that's what we call fancy word, the, uh, the proto-evangelicum. It's the first evangelistic message that's right there that God's going to win, that God's plan is going to overcome no matter what Satan is doing. Have you seen Satan out there working this week? You seen him? He's pretty busy guy, isn't he? He's got a lot going on, but we know this, he doesn't win. And we have to keep that, we have to keep that mentality that it's God who wins because that keeps us from, that keeps us fighting in the position of a victor, right? If you know that the war is already won, you're just trying to work your way through it, well, now you'll fight with a certain confidence, right? And that's what scripture's trying to build up in us is the confidence that we have that you are on the winning side. And is that good news? I think it's good news. So what is this salvation? Okay, the plan, Jesus has to go to Jerusalem. God's got a plan, right? He wants to save people. Well, salvation from judgment, from God's judgment. God wants to save us so that he never, ever has to judge us according to our sin. And he has found a way to be able to do that. That is why Jesus, through in his ministry, He would say in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek that which was lost, right? The son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. That was one of our VBS going back probably 15 years ago. And it was, we taught the kids seek and save, right? Um, And that's how they remember to seek and save. See, well, maybe that's how I just learned it. Um, But that's what Jesus, look at what Jesus was saying. 
I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, who continues on the work of Jesus now that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father? We do. His bride, right? The children of God. We now continue on in our business now. It's still the thought, right? We're in the business, right? We're in the business, only we're in the business of not living for ourselves, but we're living for God and for his kingdom. Our business is now seeking, right, the salvation of those who are lost. Now, Genesis actually explains for us um, something very important for, for mankind to understand, that sin has separated us from God. What does sin do? Sin separates us from God. Um, This is kind of an interesting thing. You guys know whenever this happened, right? Adam and Eve were in the garden. God said, you can have all of this except for this one itsy-bitsy little, this area right here. Just you, You can have all of that, just not this, right? Well, Eve Eve was um, tempted by Satan, right? It's kind of questioning how exactly God says things, and then she's not really quite sure exactly how all of that went, and she started looking at it and looking at it and looking at it and started desiring it, and then she went after it, right? Now, that was, that's what we call a trans, that's what we call a transgression, what Adam and Eve did there. A transgression means to cross over. Remember, God had, he, draw, he, he drew that proverbial line in the sand, and he said, you can have all of this, but don't cross over this line. And what did Adam and Eve do? Yeah. And whenever they sinned, that is going to cause a separation, which is why up to that point, Scripture tells us that Adam used to walk with God man to man in the garden. I believe that that was Jesus that he was walking with, that he was walking with. Well, after the sin then takes place, there now becomes a separation. Remember, they had to be removed from the garden. They put the angel there or, or the, the flaming sword and so forth. They had to be cast out of there. They're going to have difficulties now in life. But that's what this all comes down to, guys. This is why we're celebrating the resurrection, the crucifixion, the resurrection is because every single person in this world is separated from God because they have a what kind of issue? Sin. Sin, by the way, it's not, you know, like, sin. Sin, by definition, you guys know my definition of it. Sin is to miss the mark. The word sinner is that old British term that we don't use, of course. The old British term um, that for archery, And when you would miss the bullseye, you were called a sinner. That's right. You were called a sinner. And that's where it comes from, just to simply miss what God has intended for you. That's what sin is. So mankind has simply just missed what God has intended for us as his creation to be. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to bring us back into that position of where we are being exactly what he desires for us to be. Anytime... Now that we are separated from God, okay, anytime that holiness or mankind, think of back to the garden, anytime that that which is holy and that which is sinful comes in contact with one another, judgment has to happen. When sin comes in contact with that which is holy, judgment happens. You remember David's man? 
the Israelites were pretty foolish. They, they, they were using the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant as a, as a lucky charm, you might say. They took it into battle against the Philistines, and, and God's like, this isn't, this isn't a lucky charm. And, uh, and they lost. They lost not only the battle, but the, uh, the Philistines also took the Ark into their possession. They took it away from Israel. Well, they end up, there's a whole other story about that, right? Um, but they ended up, the Philistines came to a point um, because God didn't want them to have the ark. He made it uncomfortable for them to have it. And they said, would you guys send somebody to come get this thing? And they said, sure, we will. And so they loaded it up on a cart, right? And they have an oxen to go ahead and pull it all the way back to Israel. Now, the first mistake was what? The ark was always to be carried. It was not to be drawn on a cart, and probably for this specific reason. As they're going along the road, right, they didn't have, you know, our phenomenal roadways like we have here in in Missouri. And uh, as they're going along, and, you know, the oxen stumbles a little bit, and the cart goes like this, and the ark starts to go like this, and a well-meaning man by the name of Uzzah does what? Reaches out and says, no, we can't have God's ark fall on the ground. And what happens to him? Sin came in contact with that which is holy. And what happened? Judgment occurred and he was found wanting. And what happened to him? He died. If mankind stands in the presence of God, they will not be able to live. They cannot have life if there is sin that is present in their life. Now, what is required then? So we know that holiness and that which is sinful, right? Mankind, you come together there, judgment. We're going to be found lacking. So what is then the requirement? What is required to be in a relationship with God? Can it really be that hard? Well, it's just simply this, perfection. That's all a person needs to have, to be able to be in the presence of God and not be struck down to death. They just have to be what? They just have to be perfect. Jesus says it like this, Matthew 5, 48, be perfect Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this is where learning the Greek and the Hebrew, this is where opening up your, what little app have I been promoting? Blue Letter Bible app. And you can click, and I'll tell you what, all the words, because our English misses it, that word perfect is complete. That's a little different, isn't it? Be complete, as your heavenly Father is complete. Well, what makes us incomplete? What died? What died with Adam and Eve that day in the garden? They didn't die physically when they sinned, but what died in them? The presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of who? God. The presence of God was removed from them that day. He also says this in Matthew 5, 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, remember what's required to be right with God, you know, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have to be better, Jesus tells them. All of those religious people, the the rulers, the Pharisees and so forth, you have to be, live a better life than those people. You have to be beyond them. And you know what they said? Who can do this? We can't. These guys spend every day of their life, right? Trying to be going through the scripture, trying to obey it and so forth. And Jesus says, your righteousness has to go beyond theirs. And they said, impossible. We will never, ever make it. Well, the good news is this. 
God has a plan for all of this, right? You and I, we, we try. Here's the crazy thing. We'll even acknowledge that, God's has a, that God has a plan, and then we'll still try to make our own plan in order to be in a right relationship with him or to try to maintain a rela- relationship with him. If we could never work ourselves into a position of having a relationship, why do we think we could ever maintain our relationship with him, Right? Right? Yeah. Well, God has a plan. His plan is this. He is going to provide a substitute for every single person in this world. A substitute. Now, it's funny. When we were in school, we always loved substitute days because you got away with a little bit more, right? No? Maybe just me? Oh, no, I'm telling too much. I am the, I am the youngest of three boys, so you know my personality type. You always got a little bit, you always got away with a little bit more of substitute. But you know what? For some reason, we fight against the idea of God providing a substitute for us to stand in our place. You would think that we would be, that mankind would be like, praise the Lord that he is going to put somebody in my place. And what's he do? Well, he puts them on the cross, doesn't he? He allows them to be sacrificed as the what of God? The lamb of God, who takes away his... Cousin John said, what? The sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we have the situation that goes on here. God is going to provide a substitute now. You guys probably remember this. We reference it quite frequently. Genesis chapter 22, verses 8, 13, and 14. And it reads like this. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the Lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, Stop reading just for a second. Remember the story? Abraham is supposed to go sacrifice his, his son Isaac. And as they're walking along, Isaac says, we have fire and we have wood, but where's the sacrifice, God? Or where's the sacrifice, Dad? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. Later on then, after Abraham gets ready to try to sacrifice his son and he's got his arm up there, the angel steps in and is like, whoa, stop there. We've got to make a point. We're trying to create a picture here of how God is going to do all of this. And it says, Abraham looked up, and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught um, in its horns, uh, by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. He's probably pretty happy about that. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will what? Banner on the wall over there. Jehovah Jaira, right? I'm sure the Hebrews probably say it much different than Jaira, but that's how we say it in our, in our English. And to this day it said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be what? It will be provided. The Lord will provide himself. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. Now remember, this is the Mount Moriah chain. What mountain chain is Jesus crucified on that Jerusalem sitting on? Same mountain chain that's going through there. God's going to do this. This is all a fulfillment. Remember, all of this is God's plan. And remember, his plan started in Genesis chapter 3. It's not like, it's not like how we sometimes do it, where we're just kind of like making it up as we go. God is already, it's already there. He's already seen it all. And then you know what he does on top of that? He then goes ahead and tells us his whole plan in advance so that when we start seeing the stages become accomplished, we will know that he is 
Thank you. That, who said that? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Let's try this again. Okay. So that, so that he tells us in advance so that when we start seeing these things unfold, we will know that he is God. That's right. That is why the idea was that he, the Israelites were really good at acknowledging him as God. Oh, we're followers of God. And, you know, they would go and follow their false idols and stuff. But they'd still kind of be somewhat obedient to the Sabbath day and the rules and so forth. They're what we call a nominal Christian. You know, yeah, I'm a Christian. Not following God at all, but yeah, I'm a Christian. You know what Jesus said? He never said anything about being a Christian. All he ever said was, follow me. If you realize, if you recognize who I am, come and If you recognize that I'm the Lamb of God, if you recognize that I'm the anointed one of Daniel chapter 9, come and follow me. If you recognize when John says, behold the Lamb, if you recognize that I'm the one, come and follow me. Give your life to me and follow me. Numbers 21 tell us kind of an interesting story here. Numbers 21 is about the bronze serpent or the snake. Do you guys remember that one? And what happened at that particular point? Um, Israel is out in the wilderness. They've come out of Egypt. They're kind of, that's what numbers, numbers, the book of Numbers is telling us about that wilderness experience of how many years out there? 40, 40 years, 38, uh, 38 wandering. The first two years they basically spent there um, at Mount Sinai. Good job. But 40 years out there, and that's what Numbers is speaking to us. Well, what happened was the people started to grumble because they were dissatisfied with how God was providing for them. Anybody ever find themselves in that arena? <laughs> okay. You just, you just blink your eyelids. If you, okay, there we go. And breathe. Okay, they're dissatisfied. They not only complain and grumble against Moses, they complain against God himself. And God says, I feel like I've been really good to you guys. Food every day for them. Their clothing doesn't wear out. They've got, they've got a cloud over them in the day so that it doesn't get too hot. Nobody's getting melanoma. Nobody's getting sunburned, anything like that. They've got a pillar of fire, right? They've got this beautiful nightlight, and maybe it even kind of can reflect a little bit of radiant heat down on them so that they don't get too cold while they're out there. God's like, I feel like I've been pretty good. So he says, you know what? If you want to know what bad is, here's some snakes. And he sends some poisonous snakes into the camp. And they start biting the people. And what happens whenever you are bitten by a poisonous snake? You die. And the people start dying. And then the people come to Moses and say, Oh, Moses, great and, great and wonderful leader that you are. Would you please ask God, right? Can you help get us out of this situation? And Moses goes to God and Moses is like, God, okay, yeah. We both know kind of what these people are like. But God, would you spare them? And God says, Moses, I want you to go make a bronze serpent or bronze snake, right? Make a mold and, and make it out of it. By the way, bronze in scripture, anytime, anytime that you ever read about bronze in scripture, that's a type of metal, by the way, anytime that you read about it, it signifies or it's pointing to 
judgment. Everywhere you see the metal bronze pop up or spoken about, it will be speaking of judgment. The altar the, um, uh, that was outside of the tabernacle where they're burning all the, the big barbecue grill, basically, that was the altar of sacrifice. It was made out of what? Right, and it speaks of what? Judgment that's going on there. So God tells them, go make this bronze snake, put it on a stick, shoot it way up in the air so that people in the camp can see it from a long distance away and that if people who get bit by these snakes and they otherwise would die, God tells Moses, tell the people to turn and to look at this bronze serpent and they will be they'll be saved. They'll be saved. Isn't that cool? What they had to do by looking at the serpent, what they were admitting is, I've now been bitten. I am powerless to save myself. Agreed? The only way I'm going to be saved is if God decides to intervene on my behalf. And God has, and he has told us that if we'll just put our gaze upon the serpent, we will be healed from death. Death will not take us this very day. Jesus comes along and he says this in John 12, 32, referring to this passage um, back in Numbers 21. And he says, and, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, if you continue reading on that verse, John will tell us, and Jesus was speaking about the kind of death that he was going to die. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified, right? Um, and there's even things in scripture, we go, back, uh, we go back into Isaiah, and it speaks about being high and lifted up, being exalted. Um, and that's Isaiah 52, um, 13 says this, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. So get this, when Jesus says, I'm gonna be lifted up, from the earth. He is making a direct connection for everybody around him to this Isaiah 52 passage and then also to the Numbers 21 passage. And he's, he's connecting the dots for people. It's not that hard of a jump because Isaiah is a wildly uh, popular book for the Israelites. So they're going to be familiar with this and they're going to be familiar with the history. I mean, who's not, right? They're going to be familiar with the snakes coming into the camp and the bronze snake and all of that. And Jesus is connecting the dots. And what Jesus is saying is, just like how people were saved in the wilderness by placing their faith in what God had given them to save them, when I am lifted up and I am the one who is crucified and it is known that I am the Lord's anointed one, I am the Messiah, that's the prophesied Messiah through the Old Testament. Hundreds of prophecies God has given in advance so that when they see me, they will know that I am the Lord's anointed one, and that anybody Jesus is saying, well, Jesus would say it like this, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. And what does that word believe in him means? I believe that God has the power to save me through my faith in what Jesus is gonna do on my behalf. The belief is God will save me if I'll trust him and Jesus to save me. Now, so what's our summary here? Summary comes down to this, pretty basic. Uh, sin separates us from God. The only thing that's needed for you to have a right relationship with God is perfection. And God has a plan, good thing, because uh, you can just ask the person next to you if you're perfect and they will tell you, 
most days, but not always. God has a plan, and that's a, a substiture. Angela, Angela, actually, Angela proofed these for me. Now, substiture comes from, from, comes from the Hebrew word. <laughs> this is why Jesus, and get this, I love this phrase, I must go to Jerusalem. You know, he said that another time. He was going from Jerusalem up to Galilee, and they passed through Samaria, remember? And he said, I must go through Samaria. I must go through there. And who did he meet there? That woman at the well, right? Who then became a phenomenal evangelist for the people of that town. Um, Though the outcast became the evangelist to the city and said, come see the man that's told me everything that I've ever done. Pretty cool stuff. But this is where we're at, okay? Let's flip the page here. Let's get on to the resurrection. There's a second part of the Matthew 16, 21. Remember the Matthew, we started off with this verse. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. Pause your attention, please. At this point is typically when the disciples' ears probably shut off. Gonna go to Jerusalem, be arrested and killed. This maybe had been very discouraging to Judas, right? Judas was in it to be the player, right? I mean, he's looking for position and prominence and and this new government of the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, this Messiah, uh, the one who we think is the Messiah, starts talking about dying? Well, what they didn't catch on to, the times that he would say this, is these last few words. And what is it? On the third day, raised to life. By the way, Jesus is setting, he is telling them, you will know that I'm the Messiah if I come out on the third day. What if he comes out on the fourth day? No, he's now broken it, right? What if he comes out on the second day? What if he comes out like three hours later? It's like, you know, many people are like, he, was sw- he swooned on the cross and just passed out. He just needed a rest. And, and they say this, when he hit the cold stone of the tomb, he's like, ooh, right? And he came and he's like, oh, I feel better now, right? Kind of a deal. Not that, was he dead? He was dead, right? But raised, but he always told them, I must go to Jerusalem, but on the backside of all of this, of my crucifixion, my death, will be, I will, and on the third day, I will be raised to life. He's echoing this from Psalm 1610. He says, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And what he's saying there is Jesus is echoing back to this, that that God has already spoken through David that the Messiah will die, but his body will not what? It's not going to be in the grave long, uh, long enough to what? To decay. He's also echoing Isaiah 53, kind of a choppy thing here, 8b and 11a, and it says this in Isaiah 53. By the way, this is a chapter that you, you should read in the next day or so, uh, the end of 52 and 53. For he was cut off from the land of the living. Cut off. Pause your attention, please. He was cut off from the land of the living. Now, hang on. Go back to Daniel chapter 9 in your mind with me. And after the 69 sevens, 483 years, The anointed one will appear, but then he will be, guess what the phrase is, cut off, right? 
So it's a link right there to Daniel, who is actually writing after Isaiah. They're probably 150 years, give or take two centuries, 150 years kind of apart from one another, maybe 200 years apart from one another. I don't want to do the math right now. Um, But it says he'll be cut off from the land of the living, fulfilling what, what Daniel will go on to talk about for the transgression. Remember, there's that word transgression. The, the, the willingness to step beyond what God has established. Remember, that's a transgression. God, I know that you have said, this is not good for me, but I'm going to do it anyways. That is a transgression, right? And he says this, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. Jesus is punished because of our willingness to sin, our wantingness to sin, if you could say, probably not even a real word, but after he has suffered, he will see the light of what? life and be satisfied cut off and then he will see the light of what life speaking of what of a resurrection there all of this once again guys this has been spoken in advance so that when these things happen we will know the people would know that what yeah that he's the messiah and that god is god and that's what god was telling the people we're going through isaiah right now and he says when you see these things happen that i've told you in advance then you will know that i am god that i am eternal that i'm outside of all of this you and i we lose grasp on a a daily basis that god already knows our whole life you're not throwing any curveballs to him your plans and your desires and so forth. He already knows what's in your heart. He already sees your whole life. Now all all he's saying is this, would you come and would you trade the life that you're trying to live in this world, would you trade it to be my child? Would you trade it to be in my kingdom? Would you trade it to have your sins forgiven? Would you trade it to have my power and my influence, my wisdom and knowledge to come into you and to be my child? Would you trade the world? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And what? Lose God, right? Going after the world. And you feel, the, you feel the struggle, right? You feel the tug. You feel the, the beam that's kind of to pull you into, into that worldliness there. And Jesus, Jesus is fulfilling all of this, this raising from the dead. That's why on the cross, he's going to make this statement, a three-word statement. It is, what is it? It's finished. Well, what's finished? He's like, oh, I'm so tired of this ministry stuff. It's so, it's I'm over. Yeah, I'm over it. That's not what he's saying. When he's saying it is finished, it means that all that is necessary, all that is required to bring man and God together. Why is man and God separated? Sin. sin. What happens if, if God and sin come in contact with one another? Judgment and somebody dies, Right? When Jesus says it's finished, all that is necessary to bring man and God, that chasm between the two, together, all of that work, what is necessary to bring man and God together, it's been completed. Jesus is fulfilling all of that. That is why, if you guys remember, that at the third hour, whenever Jesus says this, um, the earth the earth is quaking, it's dark outside, it's thundering, and it tells us that the earthquake happens, and then what happens inside of the temple to that big curtain that Josephus tells is like 60 feet high, and it's like this thick, 
So you couldn't tear it, right? Sometimes we struggle with the plastic bag. Those chips bags or popcorn bags, you're like, right? I mean, and it's only like that. I was just struggling with one last night. I had to use, had to use some of these. Don't, don't do that, though. But. but the curtain that separates the place from where the priests went in and did their daily activity from the place where only the high priest could go, and that was only on one day a year. And what happened to that curtain? It was torn. That wall of separation. See, that speaks of our separation from God. We, we couldn't get to him, right? We couldn't get to him. If we did, we'd be what? We'd be judging and, and we'd die. But then, can you imagine those pre-surprise? Because they were probably in the temple about this time. And it's torn from which direction again? From the top to the bottom. It was a holy and divine tear. Can you imagine those priests that first stepped in there and looked in there, and what are they staring at? They're staring at the Ark of the Covenant right there. That they knew that if they ever were in the presence of the Ark, they would die. They would die from the holiness of God. Jesus becomes the perfect sacrifice. Remember I said all that was needed for us to be, have a right relationship with God is perfection. Jesus fulfills that. That is why God told Moses to tell the people, we referenced this last week, that when you bring a lamb or any offering, make it the very best that you have. Don't, don't bring the least that you can, but, but bring your best to the Lord. I think maybe some people have confused dressing your best and giving your best. Um, I think maybe if we gave our best rather than you know, focusing on dressing our best or looking our best, I think maybe Satan maybe has um, muddied up that understanding um, just a little bit. Nothing wrong with looking good, by the way. Nothing wrong with looking good. But you know what? It's never a substitute for our, our obedience to God. And sometimes it can be. We, we, can put on, we can put on a pretty good show. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. He is your perfect sacrifice. Here's the question. But will God accept his sacrifice as payment for our sins? Will God, do we know if God is going to sacrifice when he's on the cross and he dies? The big question is, yeah, okay, he's dead. Does God actually accept it? And God is actually given, God has actually given a formula to know if he has accepted it or not. And the formula is like this. It's, we're going back again to the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. I'm sure the Hebrew people say it differently. Uh-huh, yeah. And so on that day, the high priest, and he's actually going to make a couple different trips back into the Holy of Holies there. He can only do that. It's only on this particular day. This is not a day of celebration throughout the whole morning. It's actually a, a day, it's very solemn. It's kind of gloomy. It's when people are supposed to be like, Lord, this is everything I've done, right? Because this is going to be a sacrifice for the whole nation of Israel. And the high priest is going to go back in there, first make a sacrifice for himself. He's going to take, uh, he's going to take some of the incense back there um, in one of his censers. He's got some coals in there, and he's going to, he's going to walk back into, this, into the room. has no natural light in it, ha- has no natural light, has no candles in it. And he's going to walk back in there. The glory of God is going to be shining there, illuminating the room. He's going to burn this incense, and he's going to create a cloud in the room, and that's going to protect him from his presence to God right there. Isn't that cool? 
creates this cloud with this incense so that he knows where things are at, but he really can't see things very well. He just knows don't touch it, right? The first time, the the original, don't touch it. And so he says this, the high priest goes in there. He's going to make this offering. He's going to make the offering for the nation of of Israel. By the way, this, this offering that is being made, it's being made for the unintentional sins of Israel. Everybody was responsible to make an offering to God for their intentional or their transgressions that they knew of. But do we sin today not even know it or recognize it or give it thought? Absolutely. Now, so the high priest makes this offering, takes the blood. He's going to sprinkle it on the, the Ark of the Covenant. There's going to turn around and walk out. And everybody in the camp, you know, there's two and a half, a couple million people in this camp when they come out of Egypt. They're all waiting for one thing. What they're waiting for is this. They're waiting for that priest who walks out of the tabernacle. Then they have a courtyard, a big tent around it. And the priest has to walk all the way out, go through the gates that are right here and come out and show himself to the people. And upon appearing to the people, the people realized, and they would probably cheer at this point, that God has what? Accepted the sacrifice. Our sins have been temporarily covered because they had to come back next year and what? Do it all again. And the people would rejoice. God has accepted. Now, what happened if the high priest didn't come out? God probably hasn't accepted this, has he? By the way, in case you've ever heard, I hate to interject this right now, but it's a good opportunity. Have you ever heard the thing about they used to tie a rope to the high priest's leg in case he died in there and they could pull him out? Come, no, it's, it's not, that's not a real thing. Um, comes from like a, uh, uh, the 300 or 600s, maybe the 600s um, AD called, a, it's a mystic writing called the Zohar um, that, uh, that they wrote, a Jewish mystic writes it and, uh, and, and so forth. It's not, it's not a real deal, not a real deal. There's no um, uh, history of anybody ever dying back in there and so forth. So uh, it makes for fun storytelling, you know, like when they're pulling them out and, you know, this and that, and, you know, you're banging them. Oh, never mind. It's amazing the things that we adopt and we hear. Um, And it's why we have to be students of the word. You can never trust. Don't even trust what I'm telling you. Put it up against the word of God. Let's finish this up here. So Matthew Matthew 24. So we talked about Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. What was the most important aspect of that day? The high priest reveals himself, right? Matthew 12, 40. Jesus says this. I already got it for you guys. I just typed it up. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then what's he going to do? He's going to show himself. How will the world know if God has accepted Jesus as the sacrifice on our behalf? Jesus will show himself on the third day. Absolutely amazing. So we come to this conclusion. The perfection that you and I could not reach by our trying to be good, God has given to us by his sacrificial love. You cannot earn a relationship with God, nor let me take the next step and say you cannot maintain your relationship. Stop trying to maintain your relationship with God because it'll push you away from him. Because you might have one good day, but you might have seven bad days after that, and then you'll feel far from God. It's only us that feel far from God. Is God ever far from us? As a child of God, and he dwells in you, how far can he get, right? 
right? Like, like, whoo, okay, yeah, God's really, right? He's, you know, you understand the idea here. The perfection we could not reach has been given to us by his sacrificial love. Remember we said that what is required is perfection? It's our last verse right here, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, how many sacrifices? One sacrifice, he has made what? Perfect forever those who are being made holy. Those are those who are willing to trust him. Those are those like out in the wilderness that looked at the the bronze snake and said, God, save me, please save me. And when Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. It's the same thing. Looking at him and saying, God, save me. I'm placing my faith in you and your plan and your provision that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. By the way, eternal life, you guys have heard this recently, it is defined for us in scripture. Jesus defines it for us. Eternal life is to know the Father and know the Son. That's eternal life. We always try to put a length of time on it, but it's actually being joined to God. That's eternal life. That's how God does it. And he even proves that he accepts the sacrifice by Jesus appearing. By the way, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is now our great what? Our great high priest. He is the last high priest. There's no other need for another high priest, no other need for another sacrifice. So God is not pleased by our sacrifices for him. God is just pleased when his children just love him because he's so lovable, right? Because he's so lovable. Now, God never calls us to acknowledge him. Yeah, God, God's real. Jesus died for my sin. I'll get that. I'll go to heaven. That has never been the call. I started out with this. What has this call always been? It's always been follow. It's always been. Do you know right now, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, the number one thing that is messing up in your life, that's messing things up, is your obedience to just following God. Did you know that? That's the number one thing that's keeping you from the sweetness that you could be experiencing in this life. Even in tragedy, there can be sweetness. There can be peace beyond anything you could ever understand or even know. But that's what it's always come down to. He's always said, but just follow me. I hear a lot from from guys that I know, work, workplace kind of stuff. And, and I hear a lot from people that, you know, they're Christian and, and boy, you know, time is short. You know, Steve, yeah, time is short. You know, the rapture's coming and this and that. But you know what? You can have all that understanding. But the question always comes down to this. Are you actually following him? Are you leading your family as a priest? If, if you have a family your father in that family, you are also the priest in that family. You are, the, you are to be the spiritual leader in that family, right? Be what God has created and what he intends for you to be. Because not being that would be sin. You're missing what God has created and what he's intending for you to be. The most important decision for everybody in this room, your attention please, the most important decision for everybody in this room is going to be, will you follow him or not? I'm not talking getting saved. I'm talking 
following him, trusting him with your whole life and saying, Lord, I will go to you to direct my life. I will rely on you to win the battles. I will rely on you to be my, what's that middle over there? Yeah, pointing at you. No, not you, the banner. (laughs) Going to rely on him to be my provider. In most things or all things. We struggle with that in the United States because we're so wealthy. John three sixteen, God so loved the world, he gave his only son for you. That whosoever would believe or trust in God's salvation wouldn't die, but would have a life with God forever, eternal life. If you have not settled this in your life, today is the day to get this settled. Come after service, just come talk to me. I'll even have Angela up here. Probably you talk to anyone that you want to. But you know what? Salvation is what this is all about. God's plan to save you from eternal destruction. And he's already done the whole plan. He's fulfilled it perfectly. And he says, now that you see my whole plan to save you has been completely fulfilled, now would you come and trust me that I've proven my love for you?